of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. As we think through, as we have these last several weeks, we've given attention to uh, what uh, should be the heartbeat of our church family, things that we as a church want to embrace and things that we want to practice and, and values that we want to mark us, not just as a church family, but as individual believers who seek to follow Jesus. In fact, all the things that we're talking about through this series of our identity is not just decoding the DNA of our church, but this is, according to Scripture, to be the DNA of a believer, of anyone who is following Jesus. And we spent some time looking at some of those. We're really focusing on two of those this year especially. Uh, we've spoken about prayer, and, and it's certainly important, and there will be a time in which we have a year-long focus on prayer. But now we're focusing on a couple of these. We spent the past three weeks or so thinking about what it means to share the gospel and how that's not something that, that just the elite few are to do, but rather it's something that God has called all of us to do. And it's not something that we have to have some special calling to do. It's a calling upon our lives just as we live life to, to live in such a way using our ordinary life to, for God to do extraordinary things through. And that's one aspect we're looking at. As you heard referenced in your announcements, you can visit our website at FBC milton.org slash one o-n-e and we will not now don't read it now do it later okay uh we will continually that's already got some resources about uh, identifying your one and investing and inviting. It's got the, uh, the, the replay when we did three circles equipping. And as the year progresses, that will become a one-stop shop, if you will, for you to find everything that you could possibly need to be equipped to do what God's called you to do in regards to sharing the gospel. The other value that we're focusing on greatly this year is serving our community. And uh, there's, of course, a wonderful way that you can do that through our Mission Milton effort that we have every year. As you heard in those announcements, when you leave here today, there's a table set up right outside these doors to the left, and it's got clipboards with uh, over about 10 or so different projects that we have lined up for March 5th. If that's crowded and you can't get there, you can always go again right now, not right now, post-sermon to fbcmilton.org slash missionmilton which gives you the schedule for the day. It gives you the projects we have that day, and you can actually sign up for those projects. You'll be hearing, once we get Mission Milton completed, you'll be hearing about what is going to be the largest outreach slash ministering to our community event that we've done since I've been your pastor. That'll be coming up around Easter, and then we'll have numerous other things throughout the year to help you serve your community. Of course, we already do so many things that serve our community, and that reach out to people with the gospel from our food pantry that you heard mentioned uh, over the last several years, 50,000 plus, and, and you can see that that's such a, a big ministry at our church that, that we're building a new building to be able to, to allow us to feed more people and have that in a more organized manner and uh, something we're really looking forward to. But uh, there will be no excuse for you to not be able to share the gospel, serve your community by the time we get to the end of this year. There's no excuse now, but there's certainly won't be by the time we reach the end of 2022. 
However, it's always been a struggle for me in understanding how I, as a follower of Jesus, should relate to my culture. And I think it's been a struggle for the people of God since there has been people of God. I think we've always struggled with how do we relate to our culture. And I want us today and then next Sunday to spend some time focusing on this value of serving our community. And, and I'll mention something as we look at Jeremiah 29 today that uh, I will flesh out more next week. But at least take a couple of weeks to, to think through this idea of how God can use us to serve our community. And I don't just mean the community that's right here around the church. You also live in a community. Now, if you live right here by the church, it's the same community. But if you're like me, I live about a 15-minute drive from this campus, and, and I've got a completely different community that's exploding with houses all around me. And so I have a task to serve not just my church community through church ministry, but also through the ministry that God's given me as a child of His, as a minister and a messenger of reconciliation, which we all have that ministry and message. I have an obligation to serve the community to bloom where I am planted. And that's what I want us to look at from the book of Jeremiah today, to bloom where you are planted. Now, let me quickly set the stage because uh, it's important to understand by the time we get to this text, when it comes to that question of, of how should a follower of God interact with his community, his or her community, this text has become my favorite to answer that question. I have, have mulled over this text numerous times. I've, I've probably preached it before. It's something I always come to when it comes to the question of how should a person relate to the community in which God has planted them. But what got us to this point in Jeremiah chapter 29, and I don't want to go all the way back to the very beginning, but we'll get kind of close, to where God had his people delivered by a man named Moses. You remember that? Moses led the people out and Joshua leads them to inhabit a land and they begin to settle in that land. Years pass by and God governs his people through judges. Now eventually the people of Israel looked at other nations who had kings and they said everybody else has a king, we want a king. God said I'm your king and they said no, we want a human king, we want someone we can put our eyes upon. And so God gave them their request, be careful what you ask God for because sometimes God will give you the request when he knows it's not going to benefit you but if you're going to be the one to learn less in the heart way, be careful what you ask God to do. They said, give us a king, and so God gave them a king. In fact, they had three kings who led them as they were one nation under God. Spoiler, we're not the first one to declare that, all right? They truly were one nation under God. We had King Saul, and then we had King David, and then we had David's boy, son, Solomon. After Solomon's death, that one nation splits, and that one nation becomes two. And they begin to do very sinful things. So over 200 years, God sends them prophets 
to warn them, to tell them, repent or you will experience a consequence. The people refused to repent. They chose to resist and reject God. And so God said, okay, this is under the law, under the blessing, cursing system. This is what's going to happen then, folks. What's happened is that, is that these two nations, both of you, you're now divided against each other. You're also divided against God. Both of you will experience judgment. It first happens in the north, the northern kingdom. There was this big bully of an army called the Assyrians. And 185,000 Assyrians soldiers invaded. They fought. They overcame the people in the north. And they sent them off. They exported them. They, they detained them. And they deported them from their land. Now the south, it continued to exist. But it was on borrowed time. Because about a 136 years after the northern kingdom gets taken care of, God raises up a group called the Babylonians. And God sends that army into the capital city of the southern kingdom, the city of Jerusalem. They sieged it. They rampaged it. They, they ravaged it. They destroyed it. They tore down the temple that that great King Solomon had built. And when that southern kingdom was destroyed, the demise of Judah led to a massive deportation of God's people. They were sent off to live in exile. A few people, however, were left behind, surrounded by destruction, and one of the people left behind was a prophet named Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the people of Judah who had been deported, who had been exiled to this other land. We're going to read part of that letter that he wrote to them. Because in writing that letter to them, he explains to them how they should live as God's people in a strange land. And it speaks to me every time I read it because it gives me ideas or it gives me God's design and desire of how I should live in the world God has placed me. Let's read the text in Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to read the first 14 verses. <clears throat> These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are people who've been taken out of their homeland. They've been exiled, deported to Babylon Verse 2, this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metal workers, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elsahah, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, here's the letter. Here's what God is saying to the people through Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. 
that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. Look at verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. I will, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. <clears throat> I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I want to show you this morning quickly how this letter, written to some people 2,600 years ago, give or take, is still relevant to us today in helping us understand how do we, as followers of Jesus, live in this culture today. And to help us understand and answer that question, I just want to make three statements, okay? The first statement is this. Followers of Jesus are exiles on this earth. Okay, we have to understand that we are exiles on this earth. The first couple of verses of this letter makes it very clear that Jeremiah is writing to people who were exiled to a land that was not their own. Babylon was not their home. That's where they're being sent, but that is not their home. Judah is their home. Now, there is an application, there is a parallel in this text for us today. As believers in Jesus Christ, as members of his family, listen, this world is not our home. Now, here's how this plays out. In essence, we are a part of two kingdoms. One is of this world, and one is of God. We are born into the kingdom of this world. We are born into sin. We are born as sinners. We are born again into the kingdom of God. When we repent and place our faith in Jesus after repenting of our sins, God transfers our citizenship from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. God transfers our citizenship. Therefore, we become exiles in this world world. The difference between these two kingdoms is massive. 
This is a difference of darkness and light. This is a difference of that which is temporal and that which is eternal. This is a difference of that which is ruled by Satan and that which is ruled by God. This is a difference of between hell and heaven. The kingdom of this world is headed toward a promised destruction that is be- the, the beginning of an eternity of separation from God. That's the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God, however, is moving toward a consummation of glory that will usher us into the literal presence of God for all eternity. And I've got some wonderful news for you this morning. Christ has made it possible to become a part of his kingdom, and he invites everyone to become a part of it. The good news of the gospel today is that today you can become a part of God's kingdom. If you are a part of that kingdom, we need to always remember our status as exiles on this earth, and we must live as if this world is not our home because it isn't. Okay, so understanding our our, our relationship to this world begins with understanding that followers of Jesus are exiles on this earth. Here's the second statement I'll make. Followers of Jesus while we're on this earth are to influence their culture. We are called while we're on this earth to influence the world around us. Did you catch what God was saying to the people of Judah who'd been deported to Babylon? Verses 3 through 9, especially he said in verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your own and, and give your daughters in marriage that They may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of this city, this city that I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on this back. Pray for this city. Serve your community by praying for them. There was a purpose that God had for them in doing all of this, in building their houses, planting gardens, growing families. The purpose was to benefit, was to bless the cities in which they lived. Although they were exiles in a foreign land, they were to come together as God's people to make a difference in that land. I believe it's important for me and you to see today that God did not desire for his people to be impacted by their culture. His desire was for his people to impact that culture. To not be ones who are impacted by the culture, but to be the ones who would make an impact in the culture. God's desire isn't for the culture to negatively impact us and our place in his kingdom. But his, his goal is for our lives to influence and infiltrate this culture with the gospel of God's kingdom. We're going to look more at this next week. We're going to look at uh, what, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, where he says to let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
We're called to influence the culture around us. You see, people have a mistaken idea about their role as a follower of Jesus in this world. There are opposite ends of the spectrum where I have found most followers of Jesus stay at one of those two ends of the spectrum when we should be in the middle of that spectrum. I want you to hear me this morning when I say that if you're a follower of Jesus, God does not desire your life to be lived in complete isolation from this world. Okay, we know it's not our home, we know it's sinful, we know there are bad things in this world, but God does not call you to live in isolation from this world. In fact, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, and Jesus specifically says, I'm not asking you to take them, his followers, out of the world. I'm asking you to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I'm asking as you have sent me into the world, Father, so I have sent them into the world. God does not desire complete isolation. That's one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, you also need to know that God does not desire total saturation. By that I mean that God does not expect the culture to completely saturate you so there is no difference between you, a follower of Jesus, and someone who's not following Jesus, because we believe Jesus makes a difference. Amen? Amen. And if he makes a difference, it ought to be seen in our lives. Paul tells the Corinthian believers to go out from their midst, to go out from, from, from that culture's midst, to not live like them, and to be separate from them. Now, that means that we don't get in... I was trying not to preach... Um, This means that we don't get in our holy huddles, okay? This means that we don't find our little cliques in our church and we hang around the same three or four people every day of our life, every week of our life, where there's a world outside dying and going to hell, okay? It also means that we don't become so so consumed with our culture around us that we become like the culture, and that includes the immoral things, and that also includes getting caught up in all this political garbage that don't make a difference in eternity when it's all said and done. Okay? There ought to be a difference. I had to be careful to use preacher words because I almost, (laughs) we almost had to have a deacon's meeting after church. We, we, there has to be a difference. We cannot be known as Republicans or Democrats or Trumps or non-Trumps or masks or non-maskers. We got to be known as Jesus followers. We can't be known as, as the person who does everything the world does or doesn't do anything. We need to be known as Jesus followers. Not in isolation, not in our holy huddles but also not allowing the world to saturate and the world to influence us. God's desire is for his people to live righteously in an unrighteous world so that others, when they look at us, they will not see how we vote, they will not see how we dress, but when they look at us, they will see Jesus and his kingdom in us. So that makes me ask myself a couple of hard questions. Do I live, and by I, I mean you. (laughs) Do I live in an isolated bubble 
with no day-to-day opportunity to shine my light. Do my neighbors know more about my politics than, than they know about my Jesus? Do my neighbors know more about my favorite sports team than they know about my Savior? Do my neighbors know more about my hobbies than they know about my hero who's in heaven? Am I living in this bubble with no day-to-day opportunities to shine my light? And then I have to ask another difficult question. Do I live like my culture, reflecting little or no difference in my life? You see, that's the extremes most people live in. That's the extremes that ends the penalty that most followers of Jesus where they hang out. See, if you, in your mind, if you can't think of someone that you're close to that doesn't know Jesus, you're close to that holy huddle. And if in your mind you can think of 10 people don't know Jesus and they don't know you're a believer, that's an indication you're at the other end that you don't need to be at in the spectrum. We're called to live righteously. Salt and light. More next week. So I'll stop preaching this point and move to the next one in just a second. So when people see our lives, we are not known by our positions. We are known by who possesses us. So, statement one, we're exiles in this world. This world's not our home. Statement two, but, but we're here in this world, and while we're here, we're to influence our culture by serving our community. I guarantee you the people out in this world who are hurting, the people whose marriages are at the brink, our neighbors, in this community, the homeless who don't know where they're going to get their next meal. They don't give a rip what song you sing this morning in church, whether you thought it was a hymn or too contemporary or not. They don't care whether you think the preacher looks like a dummy in blue jeans or whether he looks uh, skinny. I wish. (laughs) You'll never have to find me wearing skinny jeans because they don't make them my size. (laughs) There is no such thing. As size blank in the waist skinny jeans. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> like jumbo shrimp makes no sense. People who need Jesus don't care what primary you voted in. Let's just give them Jesus. Can we not just focus on Jesus? Because he seems to be the answer. So we influence our culture. And as we do that, statement number three. Followers of Jesus, we are to anticipate the end of our exile. In the last couple of verses, there there are some promises that God gives about 70 years are completed, et cetera, et cetera. There's a verse in there that we, we take out of context quite a bit. I told our connection group, we talked about this a little bit this morning, uh, verse 11. We always tend to use that for, for graduations and things of that nature. And it's a wonderful verse, but uh, God didn't write that verse for, for your graduate. God wrote that verse for his people who were in, ca- in captivity, who were, who were wondering, how will we make it out of this? How will this exile end? And God wanted to remind them that he had a plan of purpose for them. And those, those verses, verses 10 through 14, 
14, that those contain a promise from God to his exiled people. He says at the end of 70 years, he's going to end their exile, thus completing their judgment, and they would have another opportunity to experience the way uh, life the way that God intended. Now, he's talking specifically about their exile, but I can't help but think that there's a little foreshadowing here. If you've been around here any period of time, you know that I have a very strong feeling about the Bible, and I believe that everything in the Old Testament ultimately has one purpose, and it's to point us toward Jesus. Everything in the New Testament is to point us back to Jesus. Everything in the gospel exalts Jesus. I think it's really all about Jesus. And so when I read these narratives about how God's going to restore the fortunes, how God's going to bring back his exiled people, how God promises to get them back to where their true home is, I can't help but think that maybe there's a little foreshadowing there for us. You see, God has given a promise to us in our exile. That promise that he's given is about the end of our captivity because we are captive in this world because this world is not our home. It's a promise that Christ himself will return on earth to inaugurate his kingdom. You see, a day's coming when these two kingdoms are going to collide. There's a day coming when God's going to take his kingdom up on earth and he's going to, the father's going to say, son, it's time. And he's going to bring that kingdom that right now is in heaven. He's going to bring it down here to earth. And when he brings that kingdom down here to earth, it's going to end our exile. Jesus himself put it like this. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will return to this earth that I left. I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to myself that where I am, you also may be. I'm going to bring my kingdom down and I'm going to take you from this kingdom and we're going to do away with the earthly kingdom and you'll be with me forever. When we become a part of God's kingdom, he placed within us a desire for our real eternal home. Let's nurture that desire and learn to anticipate the return of our king as he brings his kingdom with him. But until then, we practice what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ May that verse be the mantra and motto of my life and of yours to realize that our true citizenship is not here. Our temporary address is the one where we receive our mail, but our true citizenship is in heaven, and we are this day awaiting the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is really a tale of two kingdoms. One kingdom, the one on earth, is headed to a point of no return that will ultimately lead to hell and eternal separation from God. The other kingdom of God is moving toward an eternity that is free from every form of sin. Every person in this room is a member of the kingdom of this world. We were born as members of this kingdom. You need to have your citizenship transferred. The question is, 
Have you asked Jesus to transfer your citizenship to where you know this world's not your home, you're just passing through? If you're a follower of Jesus today, this world is not your home. You are in exile, but he has you here for a purpose. And that purpose is not for you to make a name for yourself. Out of all the people who have ever lived in the world, how, what percentage of the names do you think are still mentioned today? I hadn't done the research, but I got a feeling it's, to use sophisticated, fancy terms, narrow close to nothing. <laughs> what you do on this earth for the glory of God is important. Impact the community upon which you live. Let your light shine in what you say and what you do. If your neighbors know you more for some position or some identity other than the fact that you're a child of the king, start changing that this week. Talk more about Jesus. Share with them what Jesus has done for you. The best way you can serve, you see how sharing the gospel, serving your community, they go hand in hand. Because the best way you can serve your community is by sharing the gospel. If there's never been a time in your life when you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, you at this moment belong to the kingdom of this world. I don't know when the date's going to happen, but I know it's going to happen. This world is headed to destruction. It's, it's all going to be over one day. But for those who have a relationship with the king of this kingdom of God, when this kingdom passes away on earth, our kingdom in heaven is permanent. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you to do that this morning. That as I pray in just a moment that you would pray to God and simply in your prayer, as best you know how from your heart, confess to God that you're a sinner. Declare to him that you believe Jesus died for you. Ask him to change your heart as you repent of sin, as you explain to him that you desire to turn away from sin and turn toward him. After I pray, we're going to stand. If you've got a question about what it means to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we'll stay here. I'll stay here all day until those questions are answered. Let's everyone walk out of this building today knowing that we are members of the kingdom of God and with a fresh commitment to say, I will do whatever it takes to make a kingdom of God impact in the kingdom of this world. Would you bow with me this morning? Father, thank you that we can come to you and that we can find salvation in you. And I pray right now at this moment, if there's one here in this sanctuary that the Holy Spirit has done a work of conviction and maybe they've never placed their faith in you, that their citizenship is not in heaven. <clears throat> it, it's in a kingdom that's going to pass away. Father, I pray at this moment that they would simply cry out to you as best they know how from their heart to declare their need for you to rescue them and save them from their sins. And Father, I pray for myself and my fellow brothers and sisters of Christ in this room. Lord, time's too short. Life is too short. It's like a vapor. We may very well 
have a funeral in this sanctuary before this next week is done, and we have no idea right now. Life is so fragile. We have one shot to impact the world in which you placed us for the welfare of the city. So whether we live in the city of St. Milton, whether we live outside in Santa Rosa County, we, we all live somewhere. We all pass people every day. God, would you help me to remember that the number one topic of conversation that comes from my mouth should be about what Jesus has done for me. And would you help us as your followers to share that with others this week? Lord, I don't know what you're calling each person in this room to do. My prayer is that we would put, simply put our yes on the table to whatever it is. For surrendering to you is your desire. Have your will, your way in us in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen.